Hello, Rebecca Mays here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news and social justice issues. I want to acknowledge that this program was recorded on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation and that their sovereignty has never been ceded. This episode of Stick Together was produced on Jarjarwarang country and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. It is brought to you on your local community radio station thanks to the Community Broadcasting Foundation. March 8th marked International Women's Day and yet in Australia we've had to celebrate against the backdrop of what's happened to Brittany Higgins and the political scandals surrounding Linda Reynolds and Christian Porter. It's time to take stock and the evidence proves we still have a long way to go as a society in order for women to feel safe and valued in life, including at work. This week, you'll hear from Grandma Mu, my 94-year-old grandmother, and we talk about the meaning of work and her thoughts on the aged care system. But first, some union news. The Maritime Union of Australia is demanding Port's giant Cube pay back millions of dollars in JobKeeper subsidies to Australian taxpayers and their own workers who were forced to repay money to the company. Cube received $30.3 million in JobKeeper subsidies during 2020, even though the company's revenue for the 2020 financial year actually increased slightly to $1.9 billion. The company paid out nearly $2.8 million in executive bonuses during the same period. While Cube has announced it will repay the $16.8 million in JobKeeper payments received in the second half of 2020, the union believes it should also repay the remaining $13.5 million, along with the money vulnerable employees were forced to pay back. MUA Deputy National Secretary Warren Smith said the company should pay back every cent it received under the JobKeeper wage subsidy. Cube remained hugely profitable throughout the COVID crisis, with business at some of their port operations actually increasing during 2020, Mr Smith said. This company rorted JobKeeper to line their own pockets, with nearly 10% of the subsidy they received, money that was meant to protect the jobs of workers, funnelled into executive bonuses. At the same time Cube was rorting Australian taxpayers, they were also forcing vulnerable workers into payback arrangements, forcing them to return JobKeeper payments to the company. Cube continued to deduct JobKeeper from workers' pay packets even after writing to workers telling them that these payback arrangements would be suspended. Cube should repay the entirety of their ill-gotten JobKeeper subsidies not only to Australian taxpayers but also to their workforce. Mr Smith said it was clear the company was never eligible for JobKeeper across all sites, but had bullied their way into the corporate welfare scheme thanks to their political mates so they could pay bigger dividends and bonuses to themselves. The company claims JobKeeper payments saved regional jobs, but analysis of their port operations showed business continued as usual or even increased at many regional ports, he said. Many other ports had only minor COVID-related downturns or had reductions in work that were seasonal or project-related. Meanwhile, the workers who were meant to benefit from the scheme have been ripped off in a smoke-and-mirrors fiddle that allowed the company to rot JobKeeper twice. JobKeeper operated as a secretive corporate slush fund, which was easy to get with no accountability. Corporate greed was always going to lead to companies putting their hand in the cookie jar. Being able to rot their own vulnerable employees on the way through was just an added bonus for Cube.
This week, the World Socialist website reported on the situation of nearly 100 workers at the McCormick Foods factory in the Melbourne suburb of Clayton, who began indefinite strike action on February 26th. The industrial action follows a five-year-long wage freeze and company plans to slash conditions and penalty rates of the workforce, which is covered by the United Workers' Union. McCormick Foods Australia is part of a US-based Fortune 1000 corporation that is one of the largest producers of herbs and spices in the world. Globally, McCormick has 13,000 employees and annual revenues of more than $4 billion. As well as processing McCormick-branded spices, the Melbourne plant supplies condiments to fast food outlets, KFC, McDonald's, Hungry Jack's, Subway and others. Supermarket chains Aldi, Woolworths and Costco also source food products from McCormick, with Keens Mustard, Aeroplane Jelly and Gourmet Garden among the lines produced at the Clayton factory. The company has stonewalled negotiations over a new workplace agreement for the past five years since the expiry of the previous enterprise bargaining agreement in 2016. With no pay increase for five years, workers have had an effective wage cut of at least 10% based on cost of living increases over that period, the equivalent of working one day each fortnight for free. Corporate management is now offering a new EBA that entrenches zero wage increases, that is further real wage cuts. They also want to abolish the four-day week, a measure introduced by the company decades ago. Some of the other company demands include cutting shift penalties, paid meal breaks and overtime rates, which are currently paid at time and a half for the first two hours and double time thereafter. McCormick wants a cap of 10 years on redundancy payouts. Many workers have worked much longer than 10 years. Workers explained to World Socialist website reporters that ongoing automation such as palletizers that stack product onto pallets has seen a reduction of at least a quarter of the workforce over the past decade. Older workers who retire and workers who leave are not replaced. Workers explained the company has previously threatened to offshore production to overseas McCormick plants in Thailand, India and China. During the COVID-19 pandemic, production at the Melbourne plant increased as fast food sales and demand for home cooking ingredients boomed. Workers noted that management and office staff who receive annual wage increases worked from home while production workers had to risk infection by staying in the plant. They also faced numerous challenges such as arranging to look after school-aged children while classroom teaching was suspended. The Guardian reported this week that food delivery riders and advocates have raised concerns that low-paid workers are being fined by police for safety and riding issues while being pressured by companies to work faster. Multiple food delivery riders have been stopped and fined by police in recent weeks, according to the Transport Workers' Union. It's said that the delivery companies themselves should be fined as well. One food delivery rider in Sydney said he had been fined in February for riding on the footpath, but had only done so for his safety and because he was being forced to work faster. The rider said he had been warned recently by his delivery company for not reaching a restaurant in time. Michael Caine, the National Secretary of the TWU, said low-paid workers were feeling the full force of the law, while the companies that gave them work aren't being fined. He said police should ask riders what companies they work for and whether they were being pressured to work faster before fining them. In November last year, Guardian Australia spoke to multiple workers and bike store operators who said delivery companies such as Uber Eats do not check whether their delivery riders have working bikes or can even ride a bike before approving them to work. The rider who was fined in Sydney said he was stopped by three or four undercover police on a busy road while on a delivery. 
I was riding on the footpath, of course, with manners and courtesy, and they just held my hand and said, Stop, stop, he said. I was pleading with him, saying, Please, just give me a warning. A hundred dollar fine is nothing for you, but it's a lot for me. I was just trying to save up for a lot of things. There is one street that is exiting and entering in different ways. In the morning, it is a really busy time. People are going in and out. There are buses. The cars behind me wanted me to go faster, so I went on the footpath. I was not rushing through when people are working. I have been working in this industry since 2012, on and off. It all comes down to the payment. We are subconsciously forced to work faster. Recently, I got my second warning for not reaching a restaurant in time. Kane told Guardian Australia that riders were caught in the middle between police and their food delivery companies. Riders are getting fined by police for going fast and also getting sacked for not going fast enough with an order, he said. We would urge police stopping riders to ask them which companies they are working for, if they have been given training or proper safety gear and what is causing them to ride on pavements or to speed. A spokeswoman for the New South Wales Police said, New South Wales Police will issue infringements to any cyclist disobeying road rules. In November, Andre Silva, the manager of Sydney e-bike rentals, told Guardian Australia he had seen many deliverers using poorly maintained bikes where the tyres and brakes are gone because the food delivery companies do not check on their workers' equipment. Bruna Correa, another deliverer, said the company never checked whether she had a working bike whether her bike was in good condition or if she could properly ride one. Earlier this year, a manager at food delivery company Hungry Panda told a New South Wales parliamentary inquiry that she did not know they had a legal obligation to report the death of one of their riders to the workplace regulator. On the 1st of March, the final report of the Royal Commission into Aged Care Quality and Safety was released. There is desperate need for change, and workers have a key role to play. Unions representing aged care workers and the ACTU have launched a comprehensive plan to fix our broken aged care system, protect workers who have been at the front line of the fight against COVID-19, and provide better quality care to older Australians. The Health Services Union, the Australian Nursing and Midwifery Foundation, and the United Workers Union represent workers who do invaluable work in incredibly difficult conditions, but have been let down by a government who has ignored critical issues in aged care. Secure jobs for workers in aged care means better quality care for older Australians. Their plan calls for the following essential changes. 1. Mandated minimum staffing levels and required mix of skills and qualifications in every residential facility over every shift. 2. Transparency and accountability for government funding. 3. Mandated training requirements, including infection control and ongoing professional development, accessible to all staff and paid by employer. And 4. Government funding is required to be increased, linked to the provision of care and the direct employment of permanent staff with decent pay and enough hours to live on. The ANMF has long campaigned for the introduction of safe staffing laws to stop the suffering of elderly Australians living in residential aged care facilities. This government and many previous governments have done nothing to address ever-increasing shortages of registered nurses and qualified carers working in aged care. Without adequate staffing and skills mix with minimum standards for care workers, nursing home residents have suffered terribly as a result of inadequate levels of care, ANMF Federal Secretary Annie Butler said on March 1st. The Morrison government must now act. Every day the government delays taking action to address dangerous understaffing in nursing homes and community care is another sad day that vulnerable residents will continue to suffer.
The ANMF also calls for the government to ensure the $452 million in immediate response funding for the aged care sector is directly tied to the provision of care. The current lack of transparency for the use of billions of taxpayer dollars aged care providers receive annually must be rectified. The government must take immediate action on the report's recommendations to improve transparency and accountability to ensure safe and best practice care for every older Australian living in nursing homes. The 1,000-page final report was the culmination of a two-year inquiry with over 10,000 submissions involving 23 public hearings and evidence from overwhelmed nurses, carers, elderly residents and their families. Their often distressing evidence exposed how dangerous levels of understaffing in privately run nursing homes was the root cause of so much of the residents' neglect. The government must now act so every older Australian can receive the care, dignity and respect they deserve. You're listening to Stick Together, Worker Stories and Union News, broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. I've been living with and caring for my grandparents for a while now, and I've got to say it's been tough. Navigating the aged care system requires dealing with so many different organisations and service providers, none of which communicate with each other. It's like walking through thick mud. From my experience, there is very little support for carers within the system. The last time I spoke with a social worker, they told me there's no funding for respite for me to have a break. So I should first ask my grandmother's care package provider to pay for it. And if there's not enough money left in the care package, then I should apply for NDIS funding. Since there's been a lot of conversation about aged care with the release of the Royal Commission's final report and the celebration of International Women's Day, this week we're going to hear from an elder, a worker and a woman. I wanted to ask you if you could define the word work. Yeah, work. Well, we all have to work to earn money. Or, or uh, husbands have to work or, and wives to keep their children in shoes, I'd say. Mm. Everybody has to work to survive. We wouldn't survive if we didn't work and earn money. Yeah. We so... Are there other kinds of work or only that kind where you earn money? Well, there's uh, they, they call this work, knitting and embroidery and things like that. They call that work. Yeah. How would you define what a worker is? A worker? Oh. Well, somebody who has to earn money to survive, to 
keep look after his family or uh, or earn money to pay off his mortgage and things like that. Hmm. Have you ever identified as a worker? A worker? Yeah. Well, I've always been a worker. <laughs> yeah, but you didn't get paid. Oh, well, I started to learn mothercraft and I got paid four and six a week at that, and that was looking after little children. When was that? Oh, that was... <laughs> When I was about uh, uh, 18, 17, which was a long time ago. And uh, that was work. It was in, uh, in a uh, sort of like an orphanage place. Mm. But uh, I didn't finish that course because my sister wanted to go back nursing and she had a baby, so she said she'd pay me and to look after Michael while she went back to work. Mm. So I gave that up, which was a pity, really. Yeah. Did you enjoy it? Oh, yes, I enjoyed it. And what was it like? What were the working conditions like? Oh, they were really very good. Yes, they weren't bad at all. They were quite good. Tell me about what it, what it looked like or... Oh, well, it was a big old building and it had uh, a lot of dormitories in it for different children, different ages, and uh, bathrooms and dining halls where they ate and uh, mm. and play areas where they could play. So what, do, what were you learning in your Mothercraft course? Oh, well, how to look after children, how to take temperatures and and uh, see that they were well fed and uh, food, what food was best for them. Mm. And uh, you know, play play times. What would you do with them? Oh, we'd play, uh, skipping rope and uh, hopscotch and uh, running around races and let them play on their own what they wanted to do. That's nice. Or play ball. Yeah. Against a wall or amongst themselves, throwing the ball to themselves and that sort of thing. Do you still identify as a worker? Oh, I work, don't I? Yes, I identify as a worker. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Even though you don't get paid for that. Oh, well, no, but all housewives are workers, aren't they? Yeah. They look after their house, they work. They, I don't do a great deal, but most women clean their houses and husbands help a lot more now than they used to. Mm. And uh, what does work mean to you? <laughs> Hard work. <laughs> mean to me? Oh, I don't know. Do you enjoy your work? Oh, yes, I enjoy it. I've always enjoyed working and cleaning up and, and polishing and see everything looking nice and shiny and everything and the floor is all nice and clean. I've always liked that. And you're enjoying your knitting there? Yes, yeah, very much. I'm knitting the hat. 
I've done the cardigan, now I'm doing the hat. Mm -hmm. How do you think work has changed over oh, the years? Oh, it's not as hard work as it used to be because uh, uh, there's vacuum cleaners and polishers and you don't have to get your hands and knees and do the polish the floor anymore. You can do it with a polisher if there's mm. and there's uh, there's all mod mod cons now to help the worker now with the housework. Mm. Not like it used to be. We've just to put tea leaves on the carpets to uh, and then brush them up to keep the carpets clean. Oh. Interesting. Oh work has changed a great deal. Because, and uh, men do a lot more work that ladies did, and ladies do a lot more work that men did. Mm. So it used to be more separated. Se yes, segregated. Yeah. Yes, it used to be much more. A woman would no more think of, of uh, driving a tractor or doing anything like that. The only farm work they did was like making butter and and uh, cream and milking the cow, maybe, mm. that sort of thing. But they didn't uh, do any hard work on the farm, not digging or anything like that. Mm. But when the war came, that changed with the land army and things like that. Yeah. All the men were away, so the women had to do. Yeah. Do you think that empowered some women to oh, yes, see I, that they could do it? Yes, I think it, it showed the women that they could do things that, that uh, men didn't think they could do. Yeah. So, what is aged care? Yeah, well, that's when you can have aged care when you go into a home. Or you can have aged care when you're uh, at home. They can help you at home. Yeah. What do you think about the aged care system? Well, I think that there should be more, peop more people like... Uh, they should have more people to uh, help look after the aged care. They should spend more time with them. And uh, the uh, government ones are best. The private ones are won't spark enough of it. Are you talking about residential? Yeah, care? residential care. Yeah, like where grandpa is. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's all right. Where grandpa is. Yes. But uh, some of the private ones need sorting out, I reckon. Yeah. And uh, this week there was a report released because they had a royal commission into the aged care yeah. system. I haven't heard any details, but I heard it was being done. Mm. Are you interested in that? Yes, I, I, but we don't get the paper, so I don't can't read anything about that. And you've come into contact with the aged care system. Yeah. So how do you feel about it? The well, what I've had has been all right, but... Uh, 
you know, when, like when they were coming over to the house. Yeah. Like, do you understand all these things that are going on, or like, well, how does how do you experience the oh, well, what's yeah. happening? Well, they were looking after him well enough. I think they were coming and and uh, giving him a shower or a or wash or whatever, and uh, they were looking after him well. Mm. I've got no complaints about that. I feel like it's very. They don't. They don't. Yeah, it's complicated, complicated. <laughs> and it's difficult to know who to yeah. talk to yeah. about what. Yes, it is. It's very complicated. Yeah. And how do you feel uh, without Grandpa at home? It would be very different. Yeah. Oh, yes. How uh, are you feeling about that? Well, I miss having him here, which is only natural. Yeah. No, no, to chat to and things. But yeah. You get used to those things, because you have to. Do you feel lonely? No, because I've got all you around me, so I don't feel lonely. <laughs> That's good. And how has COVID impacted on you? It's uh, stopped uh, a few things. Activities. Activities and things like that, but now we're getting back to more of those activities, like lunches and... And, uh, social activities. Social activities. Mm. Yeah, when you broke your elbow and we had to go to the emergency. Yes, well, that was... They kept us waiting there so long, didn't they? You, and they wouldn't let you stay. You had to go and sit in the car. Yeah. How did you feel about all that? Well, I thought that was a bit much, really. I thought they should have let you stay for company, for me. Hmm. Did you feel like you knew what was going on? Or no, like... I had no idea what was going on. Mm. Yeah, I felt like that was very... Yeah, I thought that was a bit Cold. Much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, very cold. Yeah. Money, power and fame Money, power and fame That's why we kill him one another. Please, 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 please. That's it for Stick Together this week. Thanks for listening and thanks to Grandma Moo for talking to us. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au. And you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by calling 0394198377 and leaving us a message. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there's a union for you. I'm Rebecca Mays. Catch you next time. <laughs>